0: Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. begin worship today. It's great to see you here. Thanks for being uh, online with us this morning as we sing about being a child of God, a child of love. Let's worship. Sing seat. Thank you so much for being here this morning as we celebrate God's love together for us and what he has done for us and continues to do for us. If you are a first-time guest, thank you so much for being here with us at Peckway Church. My name is Scott Munson. I'm the worship pastor here, and uh, it's always a privilege to be able to sing with you and come to God with praises on Sunday morning together. And uh, so, But if you are a first-time guest and uh, This is, like I already said, but you could take your your, uh, mobile phone this morning and text the word hello to 717-872-5679. A really quick way to be able to uh, connect and uh, we can text back and forth and say thank you for being here and answer any questions you have. There's also, for all of us, in our bulletin this morning, a gray connection card. I'm going to invite you to take that out. You can fill that out now or any time during today's service. And then online, there's going to be a connect link as well that uh, is our digital connection card. But on that card, uh, there's places there that you can ask questions about Peckway Church. You can check boxes uh, for ministry opportunities, things that you're interested in. Um, Also, there's a place for prayer requests. We love uh, getting together as a staff during the week and praying along with you guys with the things that god uh, that is happening in your life or things that you would like to uh, praise and have us celebrate with you we love being able to do that with you so um Please fill out that card. You can drop that in the box on your way out this morning in that brown box right before you exit. And online, of course, you just click Submit, and uh, we'll be getting back in touch with you. Well, you know, we've been going through our, small, or our study together, this 40 Days of Community. And um, I don't know about you guys if you've been in a small group, but we've had a wonderful time together, learning about each other, growing deeper in our relationships, and being challenged as a result of that. And so, you know, today, as we come to this sermon, and we're gonna talk about serving together. What does it look like to serve together? And if you have your notes there in front of you, you're, you're gonna see a couple of things there, you know, the, the what or the why and the how and the what and all those kind of things. Um, but what does it look like to be a team? And I wanna show you a great example of a team. This is a father and son team um, where they could not do something without the other. And so I don't wanna steal the thunder of the video, but. It's very moving, and I think it's powerful. And it's going to show us what it means how we can work together and how we need each other to be able to help serve and reach the world for Jesus. And so these guys do this by running races uh, or running a race together. So let's watch, and then we'll continue our service. <laughs> It's a powerful illustration of what being a small group does for you through this father-and-son team you can see the love the dedication the hard work the surrender the passion all of those things and that's what being part of a small group is as we stay together as we learn about each other as we inspire and encourage each other to keep running the race then we can reach more people than we could by ourselves. And we can grow deeper and go deeper um, in our relationships with each other. And as a result of that, inspire the world around us for Jesus. And so as we're going through this small group time together, I want you to be encouraged to learn what it means to be a part of that group together. But and then larger than that, to be part of the church and how we each have a part that we play. Some of us are the, the hands, right? We're part of that body or the feet. Some of us are those who are the heart. And so, you know, as we um, are doing that together, I hope the Lord is stirring something within your heart. Maybe you're thinking today, I don't have the time, Scott, or I don't have the money, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. And it's okay. This past week, we, we were talking about how Um, Jesus, or it might have been the wheat before, but taking the five loaves and the fish and how that little boy gave all that he had. It was a small part. And there's no way he could feed 5,000 people alone with that one lunch, right? But when he gave just that little bit, God took it and he multiplied that. And that's what it is when we do that. So You know, as we stand and sing this song together this morning, as we think about Jaira, our provider, if we would just give Jesus just that little bit of what we have and trust him to do the rest. He is more than enough for us. Would you stand as we sing that together?
2: but I won't go down. I hear your voice, carried in the rhythm of the wind to calm me out. You would cross an ocean, so I
0: thankful this morning. The song says that there's 10,000 reasons, but I think we can think of many more than that if we just took the time to sit and think about what God has done for us. So would you just worship Him today, pour your heart out to Him as we sing this last song together.
1: Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like. worship your holy
0: name. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your name is above all names. And God, that you are our gyra, that you are our provider. Lord, that we, God, have strength in your name, that we have power in your name. Lord, thank you for your spirit, God, that it's your, the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to overcome things in our lives, Lord, that if we didn't have you, if we didn't have Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, then we would be left to our own defenses. But today, we praise you that that is not the case. So, Lord, as we come together now at this time as we see what does it look like to serve together? What does it require of us? How are we a team together, Lord? And how can you use us as we come together? God, as we're better together, as we've been talking about over these last several weeks, Father, would you stir our hearts today? Would you uh, inspire us, encourage us to see, God, how you've molded us and shaped us to be Uh, God, who you've called us to be and the purpose that you've given us, Lord. Father, open our hearts, our minds, and our ears now as we come to this time together in your word. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please.
3: Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team, for reminding us how we truly are better together. And if this is your first day or first time here as part of this series, I just want to say welcome. To week five of 40 days of community and what we've been doing over the last four weeks has been looking at the fact how you and i and scott said it and scott prayed it how we can together fulfill god's five purposes for your life and mine his mission for us as a church and as believers for what we've been saying kind of repeatedly i hope to the point that it's becoming almost a mantra for you that we are better together Folks, when we have fellowship together, when we grow together, when we reach out to the community, those we love together, and as we worship together, and I hope what we're going to see today is we are better together when we serve together. Now, with that said, I want to say something that I know you know is obvious, but I just want to state it because it's important that we understand, and that is that God did not put you, he did not put me here on this earth to live a selfish life. He, in fact, put you, he put me on this earth so that we can serve him by making a contribution with the life that he has given us, to steward the life that he has given us. And here's the thing, God wants us to do it together. But you say, Jerry, how do we serve God with our lives? Well, we don't serve God so much directly as indirectly. What I mean by that is this, that the way we serve God primarily is by serving others. We embody His love. We embody His grace. We embody His compassion, His mercy, and goodness as we serve others. And again, God wants us To do it together. So take a look at what Paul wrote to the Philippian church, this group of Christians living in the city of Philippi. And he said this from the New Living Translation, agree with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. I want you to underline that phrase working together. Because that's what we're going to look at today. But with that said, you may be asking yourself, and it's a fair question, why do we need to serve together? Those of you who are independent, those of you who are kind of entrepreneurs, you might say, why do we need to do it together? Why can't I just serve God on my own? Why do we need to keep talking about serving God, loving God, serving others in community? It's a fair question. And so what I want to do to kind of get us started today is give you three reasons why we need to serve together Let me very quickly just give you three reasons why we need to serve together. And the first reason is this, because as the family of God, we are a family. Take a look at what Paul writes. He says, we work together as partners who belong to God. In other words, as members of God's family, he wants us to partner together in service and ministry in order to fulfill our mission in life. And that mission in life is a shared mission. It's the Great Commission. And so God wants us to partner together together. And the interesting thing about that, at least for me it's interesting, that God is concerned about the relationships we form in the process of serving Him as we actually is about the service itself. And so our, our groups and our teams working together are more than just a means to an end. They are an end in themselves. God wants us to form relationships as we serve together. So that's the first reason, because we're a family. Here's the second reason we need to serve together, and that's because we need each other. We, we saw that wonderfully in the video, and I thank Scott for that video. But the reality is, folks, here's what we need to understand. And God did it by design. God did not give any of us all the gifts, all the abilities, all the talents, all the resources, all the, the experiences in life that we need to fulfill his mission for our life or the mission in the world, the Great Commission. He, by design, made us interdependent. He made us to need one another as the body. That's why Paul wrote this. Take a look at the next verse. Each one of us finds our meaning and function as a part of Christ's body, but as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? Now, I like how Eugene Peterson puts that, but here's the point. What Peterson wants us to understand, what the, Paul wants us to understand, folks, is we find meaning, we find our purpose, we find fulfillment and function as we live and work as the body of Christ, as we function as the church family. That's how we fulfill our mission, corporately and individually. Let me give you a third reason. Third reason we need to serve together is because we get more done together. We simply get more done together. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this. He said, two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. Now we all know that. That's nothing new. We all understand that when we work together as a team, teamwork multiplies our effectiveness. It it, it impacts, is multiplied when we work together. Take a look at the next thing that Paul wrote. He said this to a Corinthian's church in light of that reality the reality of that we fulfill the mission best together he wrote this one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose in other words paul one of the corinthians who were fighting about is this person more important is this person more important and they paul is basically saying whether it's the person who planted the seed of gospel in your life or the person who nurtured in your life they're equally important and they're both serving the same purpose, and so he said, it's not one over the other. Now, talking about teams, I I suspect that all of us, most of us at least, have fond memories of being on some sort of team, maybe, you know, maybe it was a sports team, maybe we served in the military, maybe, you know, I don't know what it was, a band team, whatever it is, most of us have fond memories of being a part of a team, and the reason why is because on the part of a team, we find two things, belonging and significance. We find a sense of belonging in a team, and the other thing we experience is a sense of significance. And I say that to say this, that's why at the very second week of this series, I encourage you as small groups and small group leaders to at least once during these 40 days to serve in a project together. To find a project, pick a project, and then serve in the project. And many of you are doing that. And I would just want to say to you, as a group and as an individual, if you haven't done that yet, please, you still have time. I encourage you to do it. You said, why, Jerry? Why, it's, why is it so important? Here's why it's so important. Because, folks, the way we turn a small group, this gathering of men and women who don't know each other very well, into a team, The most effective way to do that isn't through fellowshipping together. It isn't even through studying together. The best way to turn a group, a loosely connected group of people into a true team, a biblically functioning team, is to serve together. Because we leverage each other's gifts in that service. And so I wanna encourage you, if you haven't already, as a group, pick a project, and before these 40 days are over, before December's over, make sure you serve at least one time together. Now, those are the reasons why we serve together, why it's best for us to serve God by serving others together. But the question I want to spend the rest of our time with is talking about how do we do that? How do we go about the process of being a biblically functioning team? How do we develop team, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our small group, or whether it's at work? How do we build a biblically functioning team? I'm going to give you four things, and to help us remember what they are, we're going to use the acrostic team, T-E-A-M. So let me give you the T first. The, the T in team stands for trust. We need to build trust in our team if we're going to have a truly functional team. Here's why. Because trust is the glue that holds relationships together. You and I will never have close relationships, meaningful relationships, fulfilling relationships in our lives if we do not cultivate trust in that relationship. That's why Paul told his young apprentice, Timothy, this. He said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. And Solomon, 800 years earlier, wrote this. Many people claim to be loyal, but it's hard to find a trustworthy person. I just want to camp out for a second at that second statement by Solomon, because Solomon wrote that almost 3,000 years ago. And yet, I think if we were honest, we took a poll. Most of us say that's as true today as it was back then, right? We say it's hard to find a trustworthy person. And so what I'm going to propose to you is a solution. You say, Jerry, what's the solution to not being able to find trustworthy people? I'll tell you what the solution is. We become trustworthy people. Because if you and I focus on becoming people others can trust, guess what? It's easier for everyone to find a trustworthy person. It just becomes easier when we, in ourselves, become trustworthy. So what I want to do is just share with you three ways that we can develop and earn trust in our relationships and in our teams and in our groups. How do we go about earning trust with one another? And the first thing we need to do is we need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. And I want you to take a look at what Jesus said about this. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, In other words, Jesus is saying the way we earn God's trust, and that's primarily focusing on what Jesus is focusing on here, the way we earn God's trust, and inferentially, the way we earn other people's trust is by being consistent. In other words, being faithful in the little things, specifically the little things that no one else but God notices. Because what Jesus wants us to understand is when we're faithful in the little things, the unnoticed things, the the things that nobody wants to talk about or write about or even, you know, watch us do, the reality is when we're faithful in the little things, it builds our character. And as our character is deepened, as our character is developed, God looks at us. And seeing that humility, God says, you know what, I could trust her. I could trust him with greater and greater responsibility. Because they've demonstrated a solid foundation of character that I could build greatness upon. Does that make sense? Jesus says the way you and I demonstrate consistency is being faithful in the little things. To be faithful in the unnoticed things. To be willing to do what it is that no one else is willing to do. Well, that's the first way we, we earn trust. The second way is by being confidential by being confidential, and that means exactly what you think it means. It means when you and I have something shared with us, we keep it in confidence. We don't talk it around. We don't share it with others. We talked about this last week. We, we, we are a person that somebody who spends time with us knows that when I share that with so-and-so, I share that with a friend, I share that with that coworker, that member of my small group or my whole small group, I know it stays there, which is why one of the primary rules of small groups must be what's said in the group stays in the group. The second rule, folks, is we don't talk about someone in the group who's not present at the group. That's rule number two, because both those things are gossip. And I want to share with you what, again, the wisest man who had to say about this issue of confidentiality, he says, a gossip betrays a confidence but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Do you see what he's saying? He's drawing in equivalence here, and he's saying being a gossip and breaking a confidence is being untrustworthy. We've betrayed a trust that someone has given us. He says, on the other hand, a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. They respect it. Now, we all get that, and we all understand the rules of small groups, but let me tell you why it's so important, because all of us, I think, when we either start to share gossip, and we're all tempted to do that, or we're tempted to listen to gossip we all have this twinge we know something's not right let me let me help you understand what it is you're sensing internally when it comes to gossip because it's really found in the old testament root of that word you know what the word literally means in the old testament there are a couple different meanings but the very root of gossip you know what the word means it means divider divider now think about that because that's exactly what gossip does it divides people and it divides communities And you want a great lesson in this, go back to the book of Leviticus today and just read where God talks about murmuring and gossiping and how it divides the people, how it splits the people, and it caused problems among the Israelites. And so God says to us, we need to not only not listen to gossip when we hear it, we need to stop it immediately because it tears apart communities. It tears apart relationships. Relationships. And so God's judgment on the person and the act is clear and it's strong. And all you've got to do is spend some time. All I've got to do is spend some time in the Old Testament, and that becomes so clear. So the second way we earn trust is by being confidential. The third way we earn trust in our groups and in our relationship is by being close. In other words, we spend time together. We have to be a part of one another's life, and we need to see each other over the distance, over a season, over a series of seasons, before we really begin to trust one another. Because in that time together, we learn, you know what? She's consistent. She's confidential. And we begin to trust them. Take a look at what Solomon wrote. He said, friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. In other words, you already parse that out. We understand that what Solomon is saying is friends and family stick together through the good times and the bad times. So the application for us today is really this, the principle. The timeless principle is this, is that as members of the family of God, we need to be walking through life together. We need to be with each other in the highs and lows, and that takes time. Now, having said that, and the reason I raise that is because some of us, for the very first time, got into a small group during these 40 days of community. And for the very first time, we're beginning to experience what what trust in a relationship, a spiritual relationship really looks like. We're beginning to enjoy it. But here's the bad news. In two weeks, those groups end. So what do we do about that? my encouragement to you is keep the group going as a group and as an individual seriously consider keeping the group going and if that's not possible then i'm going to encourage you as an individual to talk to to one of us on staff to write on the connect card say i want to be a part of another group because folks here's what i want to say but i want to encourage you to keep the group going and if all possible because if we short circuit the trust that now is blooming in that group i promise you you're never going to truly know the benefit Of having those kind of trusting spiritual relationship you will not understand the blessing that will can be a part of your life if you leave the group now because it takes time to build trust we get that so that's the first step that's the T in team is trust the E in team stands for empathy empathy take a look at what Peter said he said live in harmony with one another and be sympathetic now again He's kind of doing this equivalence. He's doing this kind of equation. So he's really saying to you and to me What Peter is saying is you can't have the first without the second In other words if we want to live in harmony with our family with our friends with anyone for that matter for people in our small group We have to be sympathetic Because the reality is what sympathy does folks it flows from a heart and a relationship of knowing each other deeply So again, sympathy and empathy is not cultivated by simply having fellowship together. It's not cultivated, I'm not saying at all, but it's not truly cultivated even studying together. The way you and I truly begin to cultivate empathy and sympathy in, in our lives for others is by going through life together, by spending time together, by knowing and getting close enough and being trusted close enough to actually know what's going on in each other's lives. Does that make sense? We actually get to know what's going on in each other's lives. Because the reality is we could study together, serve together, and even fellowship together and have relatively little knowledge of what's really going on in one another's lives. Now, with that said, let me share with you why empathy is so important. It's really for two reasons. The first thing empathy does for you and me, and we all need this in our lives, is empathy brings us to the place where we truly feel understood. In other words, when someone has empathy with us, we sense from them that they get us, that they understand us. They, they understand my wiring. They understand and appreciate my passions and my gifts. They, they understand me. The second thing empathy does for us is it validates our thoughts and our feelings. When someone's being empathetic with us, they say, look, I get why you're thinking what you're thinking. I understand why you're feeling what you're feeling. And sometimes they'll say to us, not only do I understand, I absolutely think it's appropriate. I think it's godly. I think it's right that you feel that way, that you're thinking those things. That's empathy. So here's the question, given its importance, how do we develop empathy? How do we build it in our groups? How do we build it in our relationships? Well, let me give you once again three things. The first thing, even as I race through this, is slow down. <laughs> slow down. Now, having said that, I'm going to give you some stats in a second that will justify me talking fast. But anyhow, uh, and I'm not just saying, I'm going to talk, and we're going to look in just a second, the scripture that James talk about our speaking and our communication but also folks i'm going to say to you slow down just in the pace of life that some of us are going so quick that for us to be able to earn trust by spending time together and be empathy we're going so quick it won't happen but i do want to focus where james takes us in james chapter 1 verse 19 of when it comes to speaking listen because it says quick to listen and slow to speak now here's the stat i'm going to share with you i think that's great advice i try to practice it the best i can And that's work for someone who makes his living talking. But here's the reason that's great advice, because the experts tell us, and I know some of you jump back and some of you perk up when I say that, but here's what the research tells us. The average person can comprehend 650 words a minute. 650 words a minute. Now, the average person speaks at about 150 words a minute. That's the average space. You know what that means? There's a 400-word boredom factor there. And some of you know that, right? You say, honey, I can listen to you and read the paper at the same time. That's what you're doing. I mean, you can functionally, but that's not empathetic, okay? You can't, don't be surfing, that's not empathetic to be on your phone and say, honey, I'm listening to everything you're saying. That's not empathy. But the reality is, folks, most of us, in fact, all of us, can take in information far quicker and more efficiently than we can communicate it. And so part of what it looks like to develop empathy is active listening, slowing down and listening, actively listening to what the person is saying. Because you know what our temptation is, is when when we've got that 400-word boredom factor, we're listening to what they're saying, but we're also thinking what we're going to say next, or maybe what we'd rather be doing right now, or what we'd rather be doing next, where our mind's elsewhere. But part of giving and demonstrating and building empathy is slowing down and truly listening. And that leads us to the second way to build empathy, and that's to ask questions. To ask questions. Take a look at what Solomon writes. A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with insight can draw them out. And I'm going to suggest to you, if we want to develop empathy in our relationships, in our home, in our groups, wherever it is, folks, we need to learn to draw other people out. And we do that with questions. And the reason we need to do that, and I would ask you, just notice it as your way out today, and all of you will change your behavior. But one of the things I notice, and you notice as well, is that in our culture, when we see someone, we ask them typically this question, how are you doing, right? I mean, we ask that question, and what's the typical response? I'm okay, I'm doing fine. And folks, the reality is, the reason we do that is one, when we say, I'm doing fine, when I'm asked, how am I doing is because I'm being polite because we realize in our culture that it's not always for lack of a better word It's not always a sincere question That we know the person's really not wanting a minute and a half or even three minutes or five minutes of what's really going on in our lives The other reason we say fine is because we really might want to be able to share with somebody what's going on in our life But because trust hasn't been developed because empathy hasn't been developed because we shared that with somebody before what's really going on in our life, and it was used to betray us. The confidence was betrayed, and so we're cautious. We're fearful to say, I would like to share with them, but I'm not sure they're a safe person to share the answer with. Now, having said all that, let's talk about drawing each other out. So when you ask someone in, in your small group, in, in your friendship, in your family, when you ask them, how are you doing? And they say fine and you look at them and you go you're not doing fine don't say that to them you're not doing fine instead here's what i want you to do when they say you ask how are you doing they say i'm doing fine i'm okay and you sense that's not all there is then i want you to get in the habit of asking the question twice and here let me model it for you so you ask them how are you doing they say i'm doing okay you pause a second and say no i I really want to know how you're doing. I really want to hear how you're doing. Another way to do that is you ask them, how are you doing? They say, fine. You sense that's maybe not, there's more going on. Then simply ask them, say, after after they say, I'm fine, say, so can you share with me a little bit what's going on in your life? And typically, they'll share a little bit. And then the way you ask the question twice then is you say, tell me more. Tell me more about that. What's going on in your life? Folks, if we're going to build teams and build relationships that truly serve God and help support the ministry God's call it, each and every one of us to, we have to develop empathy. We have to learn to ask questions. Well, Let me give you a third way to develop empathy, and that's showing emotions. Now, some of you don't panic, just hear me out. I want to say to you, we need to show emotions. And help explain that, look at Romans 12, 15. Here's what Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. In other words, being empathetic means we say more than I'm happy for you when they tell us good news, and I'm sad for you when they tell us bad news. No, empathy is what Paul said there, that we actually hurt when they hurt, and we celebrate, genuinely celebrate, when they've been and they've received good news. We, we absolutely begin to live in their shoes and share their emotions but here's what i want to say to you about that we all get that we all understand that and yet what i want to say to you is the only way we will consistently do that in our small groups the only way we'll consistently do that in our relationships is folks when god we are consistently connected with god because it's only when god is working in you and working in me his love, his compassion, his presence, his refining work in us, that we will be empathetic to others because left to ourselves without his refining, purifying, growing work in our lives, remember, by default, we're self-centered. And so instead of worrying about what the other person's wins are, or losses are, or hurts are, or celebrations are, we're thinking about our hurts, our wins, and our celebrations. That's just what we are apart from the work and the presence of God in our life. We will think about ourselves. But here's the thing, folks, when we are connected to God and we're connected to others through a small group, here is what I'll promise you, and many of you have experienced this firsthand. When we are connected to God and connected to others in small groups, I promise you emotional needs in your life and in your group will be met in ways that would never be possible and on a scale that will never be experienced in any other way apart from God in groups. That's just the power of doing life together. That's the power of being in small, close, intimate, trusting, empathetic communities. Well, let me give you the A&T team, and A stands for accommodation. And accommodation, most of us know what that means, but to give us just a shared definition is just simply, folks, that's making space for others. We understand that when we talk about accommodating people in our home or finding accommodations for someone, you know, on a trip, we're making space for them. And if you've ever been on a team or in a group for any length of time, you know how important it is to make accommodations for other people and their differences. We're constantly accommodating one another because of our differences. That's why Paul said this. He said, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love that's accommodation now here's what I would suggest to you folks in the church I believe we should show accommodation the same way we show it in our homes you say what do you mean by that well folks think about it in our homes when we have a guest what do we do we we put their needs and interests first and we offer them the best right so if we we're out grilling steaks and we incinerate one and the other one is perfect which one would give the guest now, if you say the incinerator ones see me after the service, I'm never coming to your house for barbecue. But the reality is we give the guests the best, right? I mean, Lara is, is just passionate about that. We give the guests the best. So you've got chip china, and you've set one out, and you've got one nice and one chip. Ladies, which one do you give the guest? The unchipped china, right? Your husband gets the chip china. That's just the way it works, or so the kids get it. Or, or you give them paper plates or something. But the reality is the guest gets the best. Because when guests are with us, we focus on meeting their needs and accommodating their needs and making sure that they feel loved and cared for. We call it hospitality, but folks, it is simply consideration and care. That's what we're showing, consideration and care. So here's my question. How could we apply that principle of the guest gets the best in our worship services, and in our small groups. Let me just toss out some ideas, and I going to encourage you small groups to talk about these because there's far more than I'm going to throw out. But these are the three that I see all the time. Let me ask you, in kind of more than say it, let me put it in the questions to you. How do, we, how do we apply the principle the guest gets the best? Let me ask you, what are the best parking spots at the church? One's by the door, right? Closest to the door. Okay, what are the best seats in the sanctuary? Based on where we're sitting, and I would say it's the ones in the back, not in the front, right? Because if things get weird and wonderful, we want to get out of here. If things, if things get long, we want to be able to leave unobtrusively. So we, the best parking spots are by the door. Quite honestly, the best seats are by the door. And who are the best people to talk to on a Sunday morning? Our friends, the people we know, right? Here's the problem. Guests don't know anyone. And so the reality is when you come as a guest, and we've all experienced it, I've experienced it, I'm a guest at church. And if, if, if churches don't practice accommodation, you know what happens? The, the guest sits alone. And because the guest doesn't have any friends at the church, they don't talk to anyone. They sit alone and they talk to no one. But what if we had practiced accommodation in our services and our small groups? What if we would make accommodation core to who we are and I think in many ways, this is true of us as Peckway Church. Think about it like this. What if we would save the best parking spots for guests and people with physical needs? Would that communicate care and concern and consideration? What if we would save the best seats in the sanctuary, which have agreed are in the back, for the guest, for those who have mobility issues? And folks, what if instead of looking for our friends as soon as we walk in, at the the start of the service and and looking for our friends as soon as the service is over, we would wait to talk to our friends until after we made guests feel welcome. And what if we, instead of letting guests sit alone, we would invite a guest to sit with us and then we'd introduce our guests to our friends? Now, do you think that a kind of accommodation would show care and concern to our guests? Well, we all know it would. Now let's think about our small groups. What if in our small groups, if we have a closed small group, we would choose to open our group? What if we would choose to open our group to people that have never had a group? Or let's say we have a large group, and I would say a large groups anything over 10 or 12, and we choose to multiply a group. So the people who don't have a group could begin to enjoy the friendship, the fellowship, the community, the care that we've enjoyed, some of us, for decades in that group. Now, again, I, I've been a small group pastor, and I've led small groups almost for 30 years now. And I know when I talk about birthing groups and multiplying groups, what some of you are thinking, you say, Jerry, but opening our group, a multiplying group, that would destroy our friendship, our fellowship. And, and I get that, but folks... The reason, if we applied that reasoning to parenting, most of us would never have children. What if we said to ourselves, you know, honey, I love you so much, we have such great fellowship and connection and relationship together, so we're not going to have children? No, the reality is, because we have such love and connection and fellowship together, we want to add to the family, right? We want to multiply. So I just want to say to you, what would it look like to those individuals? Say, you know, what, we have so much great fellowship. Yes, I'm not going to tell you that bringing someone new in the group won't change the dynamic for a period of time. But I would tell you, just like bringing children into the family, bringing a new group member, brings in life and joy and excitement. And what would it say to that person? Say, you know what, we have had so much love, so much growth, so much support in this group for the last five years, five months. I want you to be a part of that. I want to share that with you. What would that say to that person without a group? Do you think that kind of unselfish accommodation would communicate love and concern and care for them? I think it would. Paul told the church in Rome this in light of that very principle. He said, each one of us needs to look out for the good of people around us asking ourselves, how can I help? And, folks, that's a great accommodation question because when we ask ourselves, in fact, I want you to underline that phrase, each one of us needs to look out. In other words, it's not the usher's job. It's not just the greeter's job. It's not the welcome team's job. It's not your small group leaders or your small group host job. It's each of us need to look out for the good of people around us. And, folks, that's a great accommodation question because when we say, how can I help them? Here's what I've discovered. When I begin to ask, how can I help and look out for other people's needs, God uses that question when it's sincerely asked to move me in directions, to lead me to meet people's needs in a way that makes an eternal difference. He does the same thing in your life. He uses that question of how can I help other people around me to make an eternal difference. Well, that's the A in team, accommodation. Let me give the last one. The M in team stands for mission. It stands for mission and folks I'm going to say of these four this is the most important and here's the reason I'm saying that when it comes to groups and mission and the church because we could have trust we could have empathy we could accommodate each other's needs and differences to the cows come home but if we don't have mission folks we just have a social club Because the reality is a social club exists to meet the needs of its members, but a team exists for a purpose greater than itself. And over and over again, we've been looking this morning that Paul says, Jesus says, we are a team as a church family. And folks, unlike other teams that we serve on, we need to understand this, that as followers of Jesus, our team, we don't get to pick the mission. We could pick how we express it, but we don't get to pick the mission because Jesus gave us the mission. He gave it to us when he said this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And in light of that mission, I want you to notice what Paul told the Philippian church. He said, be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And to the best of our ability over these last four weeks during 40 days of community, we have been learning to do that, trying to learn to do that. But I want you to notice that Paul makes it very, very clear that that takes effort. In other words, living on mission is not automatic in our lives, in our groups, in our church, on our teams. It takes effort. It takes intentional work. So here's my question in light of all that. How after... When the 40 days of community ends in two weeks, how do we maintain being of the same mind, the same love, united in one spirit and purpose after this campaign is over? It's an important question. And I would suggest to you the answer is given to us by the Hebrews writer because in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, he says this, he said, let us not give up the habit of meeting together, but let us encourage one another. So the answer to the question, how do we maintain what we've been learning and to be and to do through these 40 days of community is by staying in a small group, by staying connected in a group, because in that small group, we have a laboratory, we have a context to continue to learn what it means and what it takes To fellowship together and grow together and worship together and reach out together and now to serve together and we learn it in ways that we cannot learn on our own and we can't even learn in a large group on Sunday morning it takes a community a small group community that we can not only ask questions but we can be questioned we can push and we could be encouraged it's a context for our growth now most of us know and maybe you don't, but the largest living thing on this planet is the giant redwood tree. In fact, I I did a little research because I was just curious. They can grow up to 400 feet tall, massive, massive skyscrapers of the forest, 400 feet tall, and and their trunks can get up to 30 feet wide. I mean, so big that as some of us know, some of you have seen, some of you have done it. You can cut a hole in it and drive right through it in a car. That's how big these things are. But what we may not know about the giant redwood is they have incredibly shallow roots. They're not deep at all. Now, if you didn't know that, and I didn't know that, so the question I immediately asked when I discovered that, so how in the world do these things not topple over at 400 feet in the storms that the Pacific Northwest regularly gets? And the answer is intriguing, that the way that the redwoods stand is not by having a deep root system, but an interconnected root system, that redwoods always grow in groves, and in those groves the roots interconnect and they support one another in the process. Now, given that reality, a man, pastor by the name of Bill Eason, back in 25 years ago, in 1997, I bought the book. It fascinated me by the title. He wrote a book entitled Growing Spiritual Redwoods. I love the title. I bought the book. It's a great book. I'd recommend it if you, if you haven't read it. But the reason he wrote it is because he said the redwood is a perfect metaphor for what the church ought to be. The church should be this interdependent group of people who support one another in fulfilling the five purposes of the church that God put us on the earth to accomplish. And that's why Paul told the Philippian church this, live in a way that brings honor to the good news of Christ, standing strong with one purpose. There's the mission again, working together as one for the faith of the good news. Now, folks, with this, I'll close, but... Like you, I've heard many, many times, in light of the problems in the world, and there are many, in light of things like famine and homelessness and disease and poverty and war, I've had people say, and I don't know if you had people say to you, why doesn't God do something about it? Have you ever had someone say that to you? I have. And folks, here's what I want us to understand about that question. In light of war and poverty, homeless folks, that's the question God's asking us, the church. You see, God says, I've put you on the earth. I gave you gifts. I gave you talents. I gave you experience. I gave you resources, church. We're wealthier today as a church in this world than ever before. We're numerous. We're better educated. God says, I've given you education. I've helped you grow. I've given you resources. And he says, together, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you address the issue? In the book of Genesis we read about a group of people who came up with the idea that they were going to build a tower to the heavens and so they teamed up to do it but God didn't want it done and so we're told in Genesis chapter 11 that God confused their languages to stop them and it did it stopped them right in their tracks and I want you to hear what God said about this team it says as if if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this. Now notice this, that nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Here's the reason I share that with you folks. When you have a committed team with a shared vision, who are communicating about the mission and the purpose, folks, that team, by God's definition, not mine, that team is unstoppable. And that's what God wants us to be individually, in our groups, and as a church. God wants us to be an unstoppable force for Jesus in this community and in this world. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bound and our eyes closed, I just want to talk to you for just a second. I just want to share with you a thought. And here's the thought, folks. If we would continue to multiply small groups in this church, small groups that function as teams, small groups that function like little communities where we build trust and show empathy and make accommodations for the sake of fulfilling the Great Commission, then I believe with God's help, impacting this community for Jesus won't be impossible for us to do. And so I want to invite you this morning to pray and say something like this to God. Would you just say, God, use me. Whatever I have, any way, any time, any place. Would you say, God, I want to serve you in community with trust and empathy and accommodation so that the mission you've given us, the great commission, can be fulfilled. And so would you pray individually? Would you pray for your group? Would you pray for our church so God use us together as an interdependent network of groups and team to impact our community for you. And we prayed in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
4: Well, thank you so much, Pastor Jerry, for such a powerful word this morning. Now, just as a way of talking about next steps, I want to just ask a question, a question that that you might be thinking about is, how do I get on a ministry team? Well, I want to give three quick steps. And the first step would be to fill out a shape profile. And we've talked about these before. Uh, Pastor Jerry preached a a message a few weeks back called Shaped for a Purpose. I would encourage you, if you're interested, to go back and give that a a listen again. Or if you missed that one, go back and and give that one a listen. That was called, again, Shaped for a Purpose. And Pastor Jerry explained to us all about the the SHAPE profile. And we have these available online. Uh, They went out um, on the... uh, The Family News, but they're also available on the website. You can click and fill it out online. But we also have hard copy paper versions available out here by the the welcome desk. And so uh, that's step one, fill that out. And then step two is set up a time to meet with me. You know, we'd love to sit down with you and discuss together and look together over your shape profile. And together we will discern what it reveals. And then step three, based on that, we'll together say, let's try this ministry on. Let's try this on. You know, it might take a, a few different opportunities, a few different um, attempts to, to find something that, that just truly feels like it's a fit or, or a home, but the only way to, to do it is by trying it, right? I just think of uh, Eugene Peterson has a phrase, we, we make the road by walking, right? Let's try it on. And so I want to talk briefly about one example that uh, um, hopefully we can generate some interest in as well is we're looking to restart or re-engage what we're calling care teams. Essentially, it's it's deacon ministry among the church. I believe, uh, along with others, that as many as 50% or more of the local church body has the gift of shepherd. These are the people that are always like, hey, have... Have you visited this person? Right? They ask that question because that's their shepherd heart coming out. And so as we're in the middle of 40 days of community, uh, we're learning that the primary place of pastoral care, the primary place of shepherding is at the small group level. And so we want to lean into this. We want to develop this. We want to learn together how to live out the hallmarks of biblical community. But for us to do this well, we need to identify who are the shepherds among our local congregation. And so this is one way that the shape profile can be put to use. It helps us to identify what gifts we have, what passions we have, what experiences we have. And so we then can get people in the right places, trying on the right ministries. And so just real quick review, step one, I want to encourage everyone to fill out the shape profile. Step two, when you have that filled out, send me an email, give me a call, send me a text, and we'll set up a time to sit down together and go over it together, praying and discerning. And then from there, step three, we'll together agree and say, let's try on this ministry. All right? So if you have any other questions, uh, see me after the service. And thanks again for coming, and God bless.